Welcome to All Sides with Anna Staver. It's been five years since Ohio last executed an inmate on death row. The governor says that's because the drugs for lethal injection are all but impossible to come by. But that might be changing. Alabama has executed an inmate using nitrogen gas. And Republicans here in Ohio want to make it legal to do the same. Joining us now is one of the sponsors of that legislation, Republican State Representative Brian Stewart. Welcome to All Sides. Appreciate it, Anna. Good to be here. Let's start with the basic information. Ohio has about 130 people on death row, but no one has been executed since 2018. Correct. We, uh, you know, there's actually 30 of those 100 so folks who have exhausted all appeals. They're literally just waiting for a date. Um, We've had scheduled executions come and go during this kind of de facto moratorium period. And so uh, we've introduced legislation to try to get us back on track. And in 2020, Governor Mike DeWine made that moratorium more official, saying it's no longer possible to get the drugs for lethal injection, in his opinion. Yeah, I mean, I I I look at the uh, evidence around us. You know, we've noted that in the five years since Ohio has said that, you know, we can't obtain the uh, lethal injection drugs, you've had more than 100 uh, convicted death row inmates put to death nationwide. You've had the federal government execute uh, 13 individuals uh, sentenced to capital punishment. Florida just recently uh, carried out a lethal injection. And so, um, look, if this is if that's the case and the, this is really a uniquely Ohio problem and we're the only folks that can't manage to get these drugs, then uh, this legislation would provide the legal framework for us to go forward otherwise. Is it fair to say, in your opinion, that the current system with just lethal injection and this moratorium, that that's not working? Well, I I think that it is not being carried out. And I think that is the concern, you know, for those of us who support this legislation is uh, capital punishment is the law of the land in Ohio. These are verdicts returned from unanimous juries. And rule of law means that you carry out the law as written, you know, the the the. I know we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some folks would like to abolish the death penalty. Um, they've not won that debate yet in the state of Ohio. And so so long as this remains the law of the land, rule of law means we carry those things out. And so we need to have a, a, path, a pathway uh, for that to occur. So Governor Mike DeWine has said in the past that the legislature could legalize other methods outside of lethal injection for carrying out the death penalty. And now we have the state of Alabama executing an inmate using nitrogen gas. What made you decide that you wanted to bring this potentially to Ohio? Well, I've been reading the governor's comments on this for for five years and have always paid attention when he said it's, you know, he's kind of, I think, you know, put the legal ball back in our court to say um, if we need another method to carry these out. There's other states that allow uh, a wide variety of other means for carrying out capital punishment. Um, some of those, I think, probably are not, you know, maybe palatable in the Ohio Firing General Assembly. Firing squad is legal in certain states. Correct. Uh, and so what we did is we let, let's find a method that, you know, it has the greatest uh, likelihood to potentially pass. And so you've had now kind of a move in, in several states to authorize nitrogen hypoxia. You've had uh, condemned inmates themselves actually petition to the United States Supreme Court asking to be uh, allowed to utilize this method instead of lethal injection. And uh, even in federal courts here in Ohio, there have been filings from defense counsel saying that 
they believe that this is a more humane, uh, a more painless method uh, to carry out capital punishment. And so uh, we think that to to end this uh, sort of uh, de facto moratorium we have, which is not really supported by the law, that this is a method that uh, should pass muster. And we're going to get into the science of how nitrogen gas works later in the hour. But for those who don't know, very simply, you're fitted with sort of a face mask and it pumps 100% nitrogen into your body. That suppresses your ability to take in oxygen. The person slips into unconsciousness and then they pass away. That's the very short explanation of how nitrogen hypoxia works. Uh, So this would allow... Uh, your bill, if passed and becomes law, it would allow inmates to choose between two methods. So they could choose lethal injection or they can choose nitrogen. But if lethal injection was not available, then it says nitrogen hypoxia shall be used. Is that correct? You got it. Great. And the bill would also restore confidentiality protections for companies that would supply nitrogen to Ohio. Can you tell us about why that's important? Sure. So our understanding, and I think there's been you know, reporting on this elsewhere, is that part of the reason uh, that states have had difficulty obtaining lethal injection drugs is that some of the manufacturers have uh, not wanted to sell the drugs if they believe they're going to be used to carry out uh, capital punishment. And so uh, in the past, Ohio has provided a confidentiality protection for uh, the 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 drug manufacturers and those involved in executions, so that that information would not be uh, disclosed to the public, and that those companies could do business with the state of Ohio without sort of the you know uh, potentially boycotts essentially over what those what their product is used for. Our bill would restore those confidentiality protections. Uh, it would also sort of in our view kind of close the loophole. In the past, there was a confidentiality protection that was given. But it was really never specified what the penalty was if you violated it. There is a current uh, crime on the books that says that if you disclose confidential information relating to court proceedings, law enforcement, you know, corrections, et cetera, that that's a fourth degree misdemeanor. Our bill would say the same thing applies to disclosing confidential information relating to executions. And so we want to provide the framework for, um, look, the, the tail shouldn't wag the dog here. Okay, Ohio decides what the law is. Ohio decides how we're going to administer our criminal justice system. Uh, Corporations don't get to decide that. And so, you know, we need to have a system where the state can carry out the laws that uh, we, the elected General Assembly, have put together uh, without being sort of held hostage by uh, drug manufacturers. And I want to be clear that your bill would not change the procedure for sentencing or convicting someone or like the process of being convicted and sentenced to death. That doesn't change at all. Correct. Um, There have been those ideas in the past. We are not attempting any of that here. We're not making it any more likely or any less likely uh, that someone would be uh, sentenced to death. We're not making the process faster. We're not slowing it down. We're simply saying we have a process that has multiple built-in appeals. It clearly takes um, you know, a number of years for these sentences to be carried out. But at the end of that process, uh, the law says that these sentences shall be carried out, and we need to have a legal framework that works in practice to get that done. 
Yeah, an, inv- an investigation by Cleveland 19 found that on average, death row inmates spend about 21 years in prison before they exhaust all those appeals. It does, it does take, it's not like you're sentenced to death and then six weeks later, your execution is carried out. It's a very slow process. And, and it should be. The, the reason that process takes so long is because there are an enormous amount of appeals. There are appeals at the state level. There are appeals at the federal level. There are, you know, resentencings. I mean, if you read the attorney general's uh, book on, you know, capital punishment in Ohio, the, it's, it's an enormously lengthy process. Um, and it's to make sure we get it right. It's obviously a big deal. But um, and that also goes into. Uh, the cost of capital punishment as well. So some people you know, talk about how expensive it is. Well, it's expensive because of the appeals. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not trying to eliminate any of that, nor should we. And the governor could still postpone an execution indefinitely throughout their tenure, right? Like that part of the law stays the same. Correct. Uh, the governor can commute sentences. He can delay executions. Um, nothing in this bill changes that process. But, you know, to this point, the rationale given for why executions have not gone forward has been, you know, that it's a practical uh, impossibility. This would eliminate the practical impossibility. But the governor has been very, I don't know if cagey is the right word, but he has been reluctant to say where he comes down on the death penalty more generally in the last couple of years. So I'm just going to ask you, do you think Governor Mike DeWine still believes in the death penalty? Uh, I'm not going to get into the governor's head. I mean, I, I think he does a good job speaking for himself, and, and I won't uh, I won't attempt to do so. That's fair. I want to talk about the execution in Alabama. There are conflicting reports about how that sentence was carried out. What was your takeaway? Well, the folks who are professionals who are charged with carrying out executions in a manner that passes constitutional muster, who have done this, uh, you know, for a living, uh, believe that it went as they expected it would go, that there are always, you know, you are taking the life of a human being, uh, but that it was uh, humane, uh, appeared to be painless, and that it operated the way that they expected. I understand that there are, um, you know, folks who are in the you know, their life's work is eliminating the death penalty, and it is pretty routine that they um, provide accounts that, that differ from that. Um, but, you know, this was an individual who had, uh, you know, despite, you know, stabbing and, you know, beating a woman to death with a with a fireplace instrument, uh, had fought for a very long time to try to not be put to death. And so the fact that he, you know, intentionally, you know, struggled against his restraints or, you know, tried to hold his breath for as long as possible. Those things don't surprise me. Um, I don't believe that this method is uh, any any less humane than lethal injection. And it should go without saying that it's a vastly more humane way to pass away than these murderers are carrying out against their victims. Republican Senator Steve Huffman, who will be joining us in just a few minutes, says that it's his pro-life beliefs that have led him to reject the use of the death penalty, essentially that humans shouldn't decide when life begins nor when it ends. You are also pro-life. How do you square this? Well, first of all, I mean, I respect anybody who comes to a different, you know, philosophical or moral uh, conclusion on the death penalty, so long as 
but I think that it needs to extend both directions, right? There is obviously an enormous difference uh, morally between an innocent unborn child in the womb and a person who has been convicted of killing children. And our law already acknowledges that basic reality. And so, um, you know, I don't have any problem reconciling a belief that, you know, we should protect unborn life and innocent children and also have room to uh, deal with the most heinous criminals amongst us who have chosen to take the lives uh, of other people. There, um, you know, a lot, sometimes when people are against the death penalty, it comes from this place where they say, well, you know, all killing by the state is murder. I think that's preposterous, right? I mean, my infantry company in Iraq was not made up of murderers. Um, you know, my co-sponsor on this uh, bill is Sheriff, you know, former Sheriff Phil Plummer. Um, if he has a deputy that in the course of uh, their duties, you know, uh, has to kill someone who is harming other people, they're not a murderer. And folks who carry out duly enacted sentences from Ohio's unanimous juries uh, are not murderers either. Uh, we in the state of Ohio have generally had a belief that this should be rare, but it should be an available penalty um, for the worst of the worst. We have people on death row currently, Anna. Uh, there's a guy in Cleveland who killed five people, admitted it, you know, stabbed a, mo- stabbed a mother, suffocated one daughter, and strangled the, 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 the third daughter, and killed two more people in Summit County. I don't believe that it is justice that that person admitting to five murders gets to read, write, you know, watch TV, get three squares a day from taxpayers. That's not justice to me. Do you have any concerns about how the death penalty is handed out by juries, specifically concerns about racial biases? So, for example, the Death Penalty Information Center says that in Hamilton County, black defendants who were accused of killing white victims were five times more likely to get the death penalty. Well, I certainly would have concern if there's any racial bias in in capital punishment. I think in the past that was probably um, more of a concern. Today, uh, it is incredibly rare that the death penalty is even sought uh, unless there's essentially a confession or a, you know, a a smoking gun with nine bloody fingerprints on it. Okay, in most of the cases of the death penalty being pursued today, Guilt is not really the question. It's the question. the The issue is mitigating factors and whether this person, you know, had had mental issues or something to that effect. Um, we need to get it right. Uh, I, and I am a thousand percent in favor of any efforts to uh, make sure that anybody on death row has every opportunity to go through due process challenge convictions, make sure that that, uh, that those sentences are correct. But at the end of the day, you know, in Claremont County today, there's a father who's going to go on trial. He took his three sons into the front yard, ages three, four, and seven. He executed them with a rifle. I don't believe that that man should get 40 more years of life that his kids are not going to have. And so it should be a rare penalty, but it should be a penalty that we have as an option. My last question is that across the U.S., there are six different methods of legal execution, and we touched on some of them. I believe uh, the electric chair is still used in a handful of states. Uh, We also have uh, firing squads, which feels very strange that we're still doing that, but some places still are. Uh, So I guess why this method? Why now? Well, the 
we're Ohio, right? And so um, I think that coming to a consensus that the largest number of people can get behind, um, you know, there's there's testimony and writings that, that, you know, in some ways the firing squad is maybe the quickest possible uh, method that you can use. But I think just uh, anecdotally and just being in the building, I think that's probably a, a stretch to, to pass. Um, I think this is akin to lethal injection. I really do. Um, I think there are people, you know, I'm certainly not in favor of euthanasia like you have in some European countries, but it does exist and they do use, you know, forms of gas in, in, in some of those euthanasias. And so, um, when you have the inmates themselves who have litigated this method and said, I prefer to you to be executed with nitrogen hypoxia instead of lethal injection, I think that's a powerful argument in favor of it being a method that is humane, that people can accept so that we can continue to, to carry out the law and give victims, families, the justice that is being denied to them today. That was Republican Representative Brian Stewart. Thanks so much for your time today. Great to be on. Thanks, Anna. Coming up, we're going to hear from the lawmakers who are working to outlaw the death penalty here in Ohio. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staber. We're talking about the death penalty this hour. Alabama executed an inmate named Kenneth Smith by forcing him to inhale nitrogen gas, a method of execution known as nitrogen hypoxia. Smith, a convicted murderer, was the first death penalty inmate to die this way. But he may not be the last. A group of lawmakers want to legalize nitrogen gas for executions here in Ohio. Joining me now to talk about their opposition to the idea is is, pardon me, Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio. Welcome to All Sides. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So you are the sponsor, and you've been the sponsor for several general assemblies now, of a bill to end the use of the death penalty here in Ohio. Can you briefly explain to me why you've come to that conclusion? Well, capital punishment has shown to be administered with disparities, across racial and ethnic economic lines. It's failed as a deterrent to violent crime, and it's really prolonged the victimization of murder victims, families, and loved ones through lengthy appeals. It's expensive. It is, um, and and for many other reasons, <laughs> um, <clears throat> at the top of the list, it's also an immoral practice. Um, I have been working since 2011 when I walked in the door um, of the General Assembly when I was in the House to abolish the death penalty in the state of Ohio. And slowly but surely, your legislation has picked up more sponsors. Notably, you've picked up some Republican sponsors. 
Yes. Um, over the years, there's been one or two, maybe here or there, but this time, um, at this point, we have, first of all, we have bipartisan and bicameral bills. So we have a bill in the House and the Senate, companion legislation that are all led uh, by a team of a Republican and a Democrat. So um, in the House and the Senate, and we have the most members of the Senate majority on our bill this time in the Senate than we've than we've had before. Um, frankly, there's a third of the members of the Senate are now co-sponsors of the death ending the death penalty. And I want to take this moment to introduce one of those senators, Republican Senator Steve Huffman, who is also a physician. Welcome to All Sides, Senator. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me today. So, Senator Huffman, you came to the conclusion to end the death penalty in part because of your faith. Can you walk us through how you came to disagree with capital punishment? You know, you know, it it it, it says that uh, you know one being should decide if you live or die, and that's the Lord. Uh, you, you know, but all these other things that that Leader Antonio said about financial. But also exoneration. There has been a number of people that have been exonerated that have sat on death row for many years. But for me, it, it was looking at, at, at my faith and why, why um, we should put somebody to death when it's an imperfect system. So, I want to ask you both about something Attorney General Dave Yost said about ending the death penalty. We're going to play a short clip. If we wish to break the promises that we made to the families of all these victims over all these years, if we wish to not keep faith with the jurors that we asked to take this heavy weight on to make a judgment, then we owe it to our society and to all those that are involved to own our decision to change our minds. Do either of you think we owe anything to the families of the victims? Or I guess a better way to phrase it would be, what would you say to someone who believes justice means executing the person who murdered their loved one? Well, I'll just uh, jump in and say that that um, we heard testimony from many families who disagree, who believe that justice is best served by locking away these criminals for the rest of their lives uh, without the opportunity for parole. They told us that the death penalty drags out the process for years, that the result is the defendant is turned into a celebrity sometimes while the victim's family is waiting for punishment that never comes. The system burdens them. Um, they don't result in, even the ones that don't result in a death sentence, as the state, they said, as the state hangs on to the broken system, it wastes millions of dollars that could go to much needed victim services. And finally, they said the best way to serve the interests of victims' families would be to re repeal the death penalty. And so there's always going to be people on both sides of this, but I think to assure victims' families that once and for all, justice has been served and they can try to move on with their lives. Certainly nothing we do will ever bring back their loved one, but we can end torturing them for years by ending the death penalty. Senator Huffman, is there anything you'd like to add? 
Yes, I think the state can make, as the leader said, a different promise, and that is promise that you know they will never get out, they will never see the the, the light of day, and and that's going to be the punishment, and it'll be a, an equal punishment to everybody uh, across the state. So practically speaking, if your bill to abolish the death penalty in Ohio became law, all of the people on death row would just be commuted to a life sentence. Is that how it would work? Yes, that's correct. They would never get out, and uh, uh, they're more than likely their appeals would end, and they would sit there for the rest of their lives. I want to turn to nitrogen hypoxia. Uh, Senator Antonio, one of the arguments that you raised when this bill was introduced dealt with the fact that we outlawed uh, death by gas for animals, shelter animals. Is that correct? Yes, this was Senate Bill 164. It was passed less than a year ago, and it was um, a rousing majority in both the House and the Senate outlawed putting down household pets using similar gases and and nitrogen for sure yes and so to me this is ironic and outrageous that now we have legislators that would suggest that this untested unproven and inhumane process should be used on humans when the american veterinary association has long rejected the use of nitrogen gas to euthanize our household pets and Representative Brian Stewart, who was on earlier, uh, said that his takeaway from what happened in Alabama was that the execution was both humane and effective. Now, I know there were conflicting reports about what happened in that room. Uh, do What was your takeaway, Senator Huffman? Well, you know, I can speak from a physician. I mean, when you it's basically putting a plastic bag over their head because they lack oxygen you suffocate and and uh, you know that's a a, a, a horrible uh, painful death to remove all the oxygen with nitrogen and you know it took 22 minutes um there's reports that the last two or three minutes um uh, they convulsed um and so i, I you know I, I think leader antonio and others are to the point that it doesn't matter how you do this. You shouldn't do it at all. But in particular, this is not a humane way to do it. I have a... Oh, go ahead. Because, especially because, as it's already been mentioned, but there have been exonerees. There's a currently 132 people on death row. There is a report that came out that said it was a, it was a, um, a survey of the majority of Ohioans who are against the death penalty now. But one of the things is... The risk of executing innocent people is too great. Since 1973, one out of every 25 people who have been sentenced to death in Ohio have later been found to be innocent and were exonerated. That's a sobering number. Yeah, definitely is I did have a follow-up question about nitrogen hypoxia, and that's there's an Australian doctor who developed a pod in which a patient can flip a switch and release the flow of nitrogen as a method of medically-assisted death. And he recently told the New York Times that he's witnessed about 50 deaths in this manner. So I guess my question is, if people are choosing this as a method of assisted death, is it 
that inhumane or I guess I don't know what to make of that. So I really want to go back to um, we did a tour of prisons a number of years ago when I was working on the death penalty and I talked to some of the uh, inmates who are on death row and one of them came up to me and said, I don't like your bill. And I said, why? And he said, look at me. I am a young man. And if your bill passes into law, that means that for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to sit here and grow old and decrepit. I would rather that the state would execute me, would just kill me right now. I don't want to go through that. And I said to Judge Slaby, who was standing next to me at the time, this is why we need to pass this bill. This is not this is not about um, how to execute people. This is, um, and we absolutely should be better as a society than the people who have committed heinous crimes. Senator Huffman, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, many countries around the world look, at, look down upon the United States that this is inhumane. Is that um, you know we're violating um, many human rights that we then go out and advocate for other countries not to do. So it's it's in conflict there, and and uh, uh, yes, as Nikki said, it's it's about doing away with it and not not what on how to do it uh, because we shouldn't do it in any way. What is your response to people who argue that the death penalty could be a deterrent against committing crimes? There has been so much research put out that it's it's not a deterrent. Um, I think even even proponents of the death penalty agree it's it's never been it's not a deterrent. It's never been a deterrent. And practically speaking, I, I, oh, I, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say I agree. You know, look, the, look at the murder rate in Columbus continues to go up. It's not a deterrent, it, it, and the research has proven that over and over. So, Senator Senator Antonio, this legislation has the most sponsors you've had, the most Republican sponsors you've ever had, and there's a governor who may or may not be willing to sign a bill abolishing the death penalty. I don't think anybody's quite sure where Governor Mike DeWine is on this issue anymore, but leadership in the House and Senate, at least, seems to be pro keeping the death penalty in place. How, how do you get this forward, practically speaking? Well, like any other piece of legislation that we advance, we um, continue to have, we're hoping for more hearings as as the legislature has sessions. Um, and And then we have to count. We have to count the votes. And I think both in the House and the Senate, if we are able to show that we have the votes to pass something off the floor in both the House and the Senate, then I believe we can prevail. And I believe the votes are there. Senator Huffman, what about, oh yeah, conversations in your caucus. I I was going to say, you know, Leader Antonio has been doing this 14 years and, uh, my discussions with the president is that, like if everything else, you'll have an open mind uh, when it t- comes to taking this vote. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think, in, you know, if we don't do it this General Assembly, that we need to have a serious consideration of putting it on the ballot and just letting the people decide and then be done with this. If, if the people of Ohio vote to uh, abolish the death penalty, uh, we should do it. If they don't, then we should consider 
um, you know, the, the method that we're going to do it. But maybe the people should decide. Do you have any opinion about whether to take it to the voters, Senator Antonio? Yeah. Now, this is one place where, where my joint sponsor and I disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe that it's the legislators, legislative body's responsibility uh, to make this decision. I don't believe... Uh, we are seeing statistics. We saw a report from um, actually uh, a uh, a very Republican uh, polling firm that put out statistics that said that um, the majority of people, 59% of Ohioans now oppose capital punishment um, and want to see it replaced with uh, no ability to have uh, parole. But I, I still believe that it's the responsibility of the legislative body and and the governor, frankly, to to put this into law to end it. Well, then I have to ask, the governor has said that he, I think he's gotten as close as he's ever come to taking a position by saying he's no longer convinced that the death penalty is a deterrent against violent crime. But he has said that. You know, he he hasn't taken a position on the nitrogen gas bill. He hasn't taken a position on ending the death penalty. I mean, I guess where where do you think he comes down on this? Well, what I think is interesting is that past governors have come in. Justice Pfeiffer, who actually was part of bringing the death penalty back, has come forward and said it's a death lottery. It we should end it. Um, Jim Petro former Governor Taft and former AG Lee Fisher all did an opinion art editorial saying the end of the death penalty, um, we need to end it. It's not, they thought it was going to work. They built it. They expected benefits, but they didn't come. And we have a broken and incredibly costly system that fails to protect or aid us the way they thought. Just the fact that the governor, uh, current governor DeWine, has had basically an unofficial moratorium tells me that I believe that if we put a bill before him, um, he would not veto it. Let's put it that way. That was House. Oh, not House. That was Ohio Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to Senator Steve Huffman, an Ohio Republican representing the 5th District. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Coming up, we're talking to a professor about how nitrogen gas works and what other states are considering as methods of execution. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staver. Alabama's execution of a prisoner using nitrogen gas has kicked off 
what could become a national movement in states with the death penalty. This comes as the drugs for lethal injection continue to be hard to obtain. Officials in Alabama say the execution was humane and effective. Critics called it cruel and experimental. Joining us now to talk about how the death penalty is carried out across the country is Deborah Denno, a professor of law at Fordham University who specializes in execution methods. Welcome to All Sides. Thank you. Can you start by explaining how death by nitrogen hypoxia works? Well, I can explain how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work by, with an inmate putting a mask on on his face or a guard putting it on his face for him. And uh, and the inmate's supposed to breathe 100% nitrogen uh, gas. We all breathe nitrogen gas every day. About 79% of our air is nitrogen, but this is 100%. And according to Alabama, the inmate is supposed to die or become unconscious almost immediately within a matter of seconds uh, and and then be declared dead within a matter of minutes. So that's that's how it's supposed to work. And you keep saying supposed to. So how did it actually work in last week in Alabama? Well, it certainly didn't work the way that Alabama said it would. Uh, Kenneth Smith struggled and writhed for uh, two to four minutes. Uh, he was conscious for at least four minutes. And uh, by all accounts, and, and there was a consistency among accounts, uh, he was struggling and, uh, and, and really seemed to be suffering. Some experts have compared this to putting a plastic bag over someone's head. Although in that situation, I think the person would be inhaling carbon dioxide rather than nitrogen. So how fair a comparison is the plastic bag analogy? I think the plastic bag analogy is probably not the best comparison. Truth is, before Alabama did this, nobody had any idea what was going to happen in Alabama because nobody had ever been killed this way. Even though there had been industrial accidents and things like that, uh, it certainly wasn't conducted in a prison setting with all these witnesses really watching what was going on and with a mask. Do you think some of the issue with how it went in Alabama could be due to the mask, maybe not fitting properly so it's not 100% nitrogen? Or I think there were reports that Kenneth was holding his breath. It's really unclear what was going on. In other words, there was no proof that Kenneth was holding his breath, although that is a reaction that some people have if they if gas is introduced in a in a mass. But there's been no autopsy results. There's been no medical testimony trying to determine what really happened during that time. The only thing we do know for certain based on witness accounts is that it took him a long time to die, that he was writhing, that he seemed to be suffering and that he was struggling against the constraints. So Ohio has had a moratorium on execution since 2020, when our governor said lethal injection was, quote, no longer an option because finding the drugs was difficult and the state could face repercussions from drug makers if one of their pharmaceuticals was used in execution. It seems like this is the story across the country, that finding the cocktail of drugs for lethal injection is getting harder and harder. 
It's been difficult for the last decade for states to find lethal injection drugs and companies don't want to sell those drugs to Department of Corrections. At the same time, there's certainly states that are conducting lethal injection executions. There were five states doing that last year. Texas hasn't seemed to have had a problem getting lethal injection drugs. So uh, even though that seems to be a chorus among department of, some Department of Corrections, it's certainly not the case with every department, in which case one could could kind of question really what's going on here in, in, in the attempt to find lethal injection drugs. Yeah, I correct me if I'm wrong. One of the things I read about Texas is that they have allowed some of these drugs to be used past their sell-by date or past their expiration date, that they like test them. They're like, okay, it's still good. We'll use it. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. Simply because a state has drugs available doesn't mean that they're, um, they're at this right expiration expiration date or that they got those drugs in a in a legal way. We already know that states across state lines and pay cash for some of these drugs and uh, and it can be questionable their their source. So I you know that's a really fair point. And there are six different methods of execution that are currently legal in the US. Can you walk us through those? Sure. I mean, uh, it, until very recently, hanging was legal. It's it's no longer used in uh, in the United States only because the three hanging states no longer have a death penalty. Otherwise, it would be viable, and it is for one person. But the United States started historically with hanging in the firing squad, usually focusing more on hanging. Hangings were gruesome, and they were horrifying public events. In which case, in 1898, uh, New York switched to electrocution. A bunch of states uh, changed accordingly, but elect execution from the very beginning uh, was a highly botched process. It just didn't have the kind of publicity that we're seeing now with execution methods and the internet, et cetera. Uh, Because electrocutions were so horrifying, uh, the United States switched to lethal gas, Uh, In Nevada, 1921, came up with lethal gas, and 13 other states finally adopted that. But lethal gas, too, was was a really pretty, extremely problematic method and probably the worst that we've ever had. I would say probably every lethal gas execution was uh, cruel in some way, in which case... Uh, sort of running out of methods, uh, United States in 1977 in Oklahoma introduced lethal injection. That was supposed to be the cure-all for these other problematic uh, methods. But now we've had lethal injection for 40 years. It's only gotten worse in the last decade because of this drug shortage issue. We see many more botches than we ever have. And uh, so this is why some states, such as Alabama, have felt very much backed into a corner. Yeah, and there's, I believe there's some conversation amongst opponents of the death penalty that the cocktail of drugs for lethal injection has an anesthetic, but there is this like lingering question that even though the person on the table isn't moving, maybe they're suffering internally, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the traditional lethal injection execution consists of three drugs. And the first drug is is supposed to anesthetize the inmate and make them completely unconscious. So when they're injected with the second and third drugs, uh, they won't feel that. Uh, But the second drug is a paralytic, uh, which literally paralyzes the body. That's why people think that lethal injections, you know, they may look like they're sleeping 
peacefully when in fact they're paralyzed. And the third drug, potassium chloride, induces cardiac arrest. Incredibly painful. We know that because some physicians have injected themselves uh, with that drug. So we already have evidence, autopsy evidence, that we know that some inmates haven't gotten enough of the first drug, that they're still conscious and aware, but paralyzed while they're injected with a third drug and, and a horrifying uh, painfully and painful procedure. Yeah, anesthesia is, like as a woman who's had two children and has had an epidural, anesthesia is fascinating as a science because it's so dependent on your weight, your height, your gender. Even like I've heard a weird theory that redheads take more anesthesia than non-redheads. Like there's all these weird quirks of anesthetics. Well, that's exactly right. And we already know that, you know, a substantial number of inmates have been heavy drug users and that they're uh, they're they're not going to take on this kind of anesthetic in a way that somebody else might if they're they've never had the drug or uh, their smaller bodybuilder um, have other characteristics that make them uh, uh you know, more sensitive to to these effects. But if you're a heavy drug user um, and or a drug addict, uh, it's going to take a, an enormous amount of this anesthetic to put you out, in addition to the fact that we already know, I mean, this was shown in California that, uh, that um, people working inside of the prison were stealing the anesthetic because it gives them a high. So they didn't even really have enough to 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 give out to an inmate during an execution procedure. I want to shift our conversation and talk about public support for the death penalty. It's been dropping in recent years, but according to a Gallup poll from October 2023, 53% of Americans still support execution as punishment for murder. So still a majority, but that number's dropped quite a bit in the last 50 years. Well, that's right. The numbers dropped. And, you know, just as a point of fact, if you had the same Gallup poll in Europe, you'd probably find a very dis similar kind of distribution. It's just that Europe and, and you know, this political makeup uh, makes it so that, you know, the public can't uh, can't override, particularly with these kinds of opinion polls. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's something to balance out. But, you know, as you were indicating, there's been a large drop. I think as the public becomes increasingly educated about the death penalty, its cost, its huge dis discriminatory element against race and socioeconomic status. And number three, the fact that you know, people are not dying in the way that states have hoped uh, during the execution process. So there are many, many problems here. I wanted to ask about overturning of death penalty convictions. Do you think that as we've as DNA has become more common, as it's exonerated people, do you think that's contributed to the decline in support for the death penalty? Absolutely. I mean, we know over the years that, uh, you know, people, the public has been increasingly aware that innocent people have been executed or that they're on death row, you know, by virtue of DNA discoveries or some other kind of evidence. That's number one. Number two, uh, you know, the focus uh, oftentimes is not so much how many executions we've had this year, but how many people were sentenced to death. And that has that number has dropped precipitously. In other words, prosecutors are sentencing to death far fewer people today in, in the last few years than they ever would have, say, 10 or 15 years ago when we didn't have as many constraints on, uh, on who could be sentenced. 
So in the United States, we're kind of a patchwork of states that allow the death penalty, states that don't, states with moratoriums, states that are still executing. We're kind of all over the place. Uh, Is there any difference in crime rates, any noticeable difference between states that execute and states that don't? We, we've seen no difference in crime rates between states who execute that execute and states that don't. In fact, quite the contrary. Usually states that do execute have, have lower crime rates, et cetera. I mean, there's really no correlation here. And yes, states are all over the place. For example, the state of Michigan abolished the death penalty before any European country did. And then we have, contrary-wise, uh, the state of Texas accounts for about a third of all executions typically in the United States. So you do you see this uh, immense variability within this country. Do you see us ever having a national conversation? I mean, when we talk about France and Germany and countries in Europe, it was a national conversation, a national decision to abolish the death penalty. Do you see that happening here or do you see it just being more like states over time? It, it seems, at least in the immediate future, that uh, these state differences are going to hold hold tight on on the death penalty, even though there, over the years and decades, actually, there have been national conversations about the death penalty. But because of these statewide variabilities, that, that seems to override uh, the, the national conversation. That's just my opinion, of course. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of the conversation on legalizing recreational marijuana, right? More and more states have legalized. At some point, we may hit a critical mass of states and have a national conversation. I think you're right about that. I mean, again, only five states were executing anybody last year. So when we think that it's just five, uh, that it's such a small number of states who are actively involved, that, uh, that you know, after after a time, we may realize that this this really should be a national conversation in the way that we've attempted to have it for many years. So Ohio is considering nitrogen hypoxia as a method of execution uh, in the wake of what happened in Alabama. Are there other states that are also looking at this now? There, there seem to be other states that are looking at um, uh, nitrogen hypoxia, and that that makes sense. I mean, it's a new method of execution. States are having problems getting lethal injection drugs. Nebraska has a has a bill before uh, you know before its legislature as well. That said, you're we're not seeing the kind of scramble that we may have seen in 1977 after Oklahoma adopted lethal injection. The reason being that because we have the internet and there's so much greater national conversation uh, about nitrogen hypoxia and the fact that it's so widely known that that first, the, the execution of Kenneth Smith was pretty horribly botched, that states may really want to slow down and consider whether this is a wise move politically or any other way for for them to take on. That was Deborah Denno, a professor of law at Fordham University who specializes in execution methods. Thank you so much for all your information and time today. Thank you. And that'll do it for this hour of All Sides with Anna Staver. Thanks for listening to 89.7 NPR News.